welcome. I'm Prudence Robertson, and this is EWTN Pro-Life Weekly. Battle at the polls. Proposition 1 is on the ballot in California in November, which would allow abortion up until birth. Archbishop Salvatore Cordiglione of San Francisco joins us to discuss what's at stake and why Catholics and pro-life advocates need to mobilize against this deadly ballot initiative. Theme Reveal. Jeannie Mancini, president of the March for Life, reveals the theme for the 2023 National March in Washington, D.C. on January 20th. She gives us an inside look at what we can expect from the first post-Roe March and what she hopes to see from elected officials when it comes to building a pro-life culture. But I was a man-pleaser. I wasn't a God-fearer. Merciful Medicine. We sit down with Dr. John Bruchalski, a former abortionist who is now a strongly pro-life physician. In his new book, he shares his unique conversion story, and he spoke with us about how the scars of abortion can be healed. This week, President Joe Biden called for Congress to advance a law mandating abortion through all nine months and even infanticide in the next term. This just three weeks away from the midterm elections. Folks, if we do that, here's the promise I make to you and the American people. The first bill that I will send to the Congress will be to codify Roe v. Wade. And when Congress passes it, I'll sign it in January, 50 years after Roe was first decided the law of the land. Despite the fact that a sweep of Republican pro-life wins is expected in the House of Representatives next month, Biden is calling for Democrats to reinstate Roe. When the Supreme Court decided Roe versus Wade in 1973, it eliminated generations' worth of settled law, going as far back as colonial times, which stated that the protection of life is deeply rooted in the history and traditions of our nation. Now, the president has vowed to stifle state legislatures on this issue once again. As the midterm elections get closer and closer, we want our viewers all over the country to know where unborn babies are most at risk. One of the hardest battles will take place in California. Proposition 1 would add an explicit right to abortion in the California Constitution. This is wildly unnecessary due to the state's already very liberal abortion laws. After introducing the amendment, the legislature signed yet another pro-abortion bill for the sole purpose of moving it to the top of the ticket, making it the first motion Californians see when they arrive at their polling place. There is no specific fiscal language in the amendment, but it leaves no ceiling on the amount of money that can be spent on killing innocents. Projections show that the California legislature wants an additional $20 million to spend on abortions in the years to come. Joining me now is someone who is very knowledgeable about just how dangerous this amendment is, Archbishop Salvador Cordiglione of the Archdiocese of San Francisco. Your Excellency, thank you so much for joining me. It's an honor to welcome you back to Pro-Life Weekly. Just when you think Governor Newsom can't think of another way to expand abortion in his state, you turn around and he has. As perhaps the most prominent Catholic leader in California, what's your response to the recent actions of him and other pro-abortion politicians in the legislature? This is certainly very alarming. Actually, the legislature has passed about 20 abortion expanding bills, if you can believe that, even in California expanding it. Proposition one, this is a ballot initiative uh, that the uh, legislature 
uh, passed and then uh, Governor Newsom signed. So it will be uh, to amend the state constitution. So that such an, uh, an initiative can uh, begin with the, the legislature, but requires a, a simple majority vote of the people. Mm. This would amend the uh, constitution of the state of California to enshrine the constitution, the right to what they call reproductive freedom, which can mean all kinds of things, but certainly would include uh, abortion all nine months right up to the moment of birth. Right now, even in California, there is some kind of restriction on uh, late-term abortion of uh, only for the, in the case of the life and health of the mother, of course, depending on how that's interpreted. So we're all very alarmed about this. Uh, all of us um, are, are Catholic leaders in the state. So we're trying to educate our people on how how dangerous this is. The majority of Californians do not favor late-term abortion, even in this state. And they also do not favor the state using taxpayer funds to pay for abortions, let alone bringing women from other states here what all expenses paid in order to have their abortion. So our people need to be educated as to what this bill really does. Yes, that's beautiful. Prayer is our most powerful weapon. Let's just talk a little bit more about the specifics of what Proposition 1 would do. Those who oppose the amendment say that it's, quote, extreme, expensive, and unnecessary. So what are your primary concerns with the proposal, particularly how expensive it's going to be? Yes, it will be very expensive if we're paying for abortion. We're paying for women to come from other states. Basically, we're talking an all-expense uh, paid California abortion vacation. They'll pay for the transportation, for the lodging, for the child care if she has other children that she's bringing with her, meals, lodging, um, they're all expenses paid. So this can be very expensive. And uh, there are people who favor keeping abortion legal who are opposed to this proposition because they see how extreme and unnecessary it is and foresee that this will be tied up in the courts. So it's truly unnecessary. California has already has, as I mentioned, very liberal open access abortion laws. So we're afraid of expanding it even into late term. We're uh, uh, concerned that California, you know, the governor has said it's to become a, an, an abortion sanctuary, which is kind of a, an abuse of the word. A sanctuary is meant a place to protect life, not to take life. Yes. Uh, and also that it would become a, a specialty state for late-term abortion, since since most people don't like them and they're hard to find, that they'll, they'll set up clinics specializing in, in late-term abortions and bringing women here for that. And that's just one part of it. Like I said, it, it speaks of reproductive freedom. So that can include, include all kinds of things, surrogacy um, and any kind of expansion of what one wills in, in that whole realm of life. So it's, it's a very dangerous bill. Yes, indeed. And just one final question, Your Excellency. You know, you have become a national leader um, when it comes to standing up as a Catholic against these policies that go against our faith. I just wonder what your message is to Catholics across the country, whether you're in a pro-life state or pro-abortion state, um, in terms of really having the courage to, to speak up and, and speak the truth. I like to say often and as often as I can how proud I am of my fellow Catholics and other uh, believers as well who run these crisis pregnancy clinics for women in, in a period of distress. That shows that we are truly pro-life. The other side wants to say that we're pro-birth, 
but we don't care about the women. But the opposite is true. It's our people that are providing women the real options, uh, giving her information about what's going on inside of her, uh, linking her to the resources she needs, giving her all the love and support she needs to be able to make uh, a choice for life. Uh, the other side doesn't care about that. It's more and more obvious all the other side cares about is abortion. There, otherwise, how can there be attacks on crisis pregnancy clinics? Mm. There's the vandalism that goes uh, unreported or, or unnoticed, unaddressed. But there's also the moral attacks, them being criticized and, uh, and uh, alarm bells sounding because they're crisis pregnancy clinics. It's, so this is very heinous. So I want our fellow Catholics to know how proud we should be of our fellow believers uh, who are truly surrounding women with love and care and support, and to please uh, be involved in that as a volunteer, as a benefactor, everything we need to do to keep these uh, crisis pregnancy clinics operating so uh, women can have real choice and women can be supported with love and care and all the resources they need. Yes, amen. Well, again, we are so grateful for your strong leadership, and everybody at Pro Life Weekly uh, has you in our prayers. Archbishop Salvatore Cordiglione, thanks for joining us today. Thank you. Another state where stakes are high for the babies, Michigan, where Gretchen Whitmer holds power. An extreme initiative known as Proposal 3 would, in the words of its supporters, restore Roe in the Great Lakes state. According to the Michigan Catholic Conference, which refers to Proposal 3 as the Anything Goes Amendment, this initiative, if passed, will not only allow all abortions in the state forever, it would also remove any and all parental rights. Governor Whitmer's opponent in the gubernatorial race, Tudor Dixon, was recently asked about her stance on abortion. She said the issue should be decided by the people and their elected state legislators and pointed to Governor Whitmer's record of destruction. And joining me now to discuss is Caitlin McCuskey, political coordinator at Susan B. Anthony Pro-Life America, Caitlin Hales from Michigan. Caitlin, thanks for joining me. Talk to me about Proposal 3 and the legislation that it would override if it is added to your state's constitution. Absolutely. Well, thank you for having me uh, to talk about this important issue. Proposal 3 is really a Trojan horse for what would be one of the most radical extreme abortion laws in the country. It would overturn common sense laws passed by the state legislature on uh, things like parental consent and notification, safety standards and regulations of abortion clinics, and even um, the limits on ending late-term abortions and brutal partial birth abortion. And what is the landscape of the legislature in Michigan, Caitlin? Is it safe to say this proposal would be an overreach that goes against what the majority of Michiganders want? Yes, I think it's absolutely safe to say that. Uh, Michigan's legislature is evenly split right now between Republicans, or pretty evenly split between Republicans and Democrats. Republicans do have control of both the state House and state Senate, but again, by narrower margins. And Michigan has proven in past election cycles that it is a true swing state. And as we've seen in poll after poll, even in swing states, even among Democratic voters, these extreme measures that the Democratic Party has taken to further abortion on demand up until the moment of birth are extremely unpopular. They want common sense regulations. They want um, safety regulations for all procedures. And this is, you know, 
no different. Um, so polls are showing that Americans, uh, Michiganders uh, as well, want those common sense um, and reasonable restrictions on abortion. Right. And, you know, the fight over this proposal has not been pretty. I'm sure you know an elderly pro-life woman was actually shot in the arm while canvassing against Proposal 3. And luckily, her wounds were not fatal. She is recovering. But, but what did you make of this violent act, Caitlin? Did it surprise you? Yes, it surprised me. I mean, I, I grew up not far from there. I would have never expected to hear that story. And and further, anyone going door to door or speaking out on a political issue, that's our, our constitutional right to free speech. No one should fear violence when doing so. Um, what I also found especially surprising, and I think I still find it you know, very shocking is that Governor Whitmer has not done anything to condemn this violence. She's not spoken about it or, uh, again, condemned it in any way, shape, or form. Mm, yeah, that is very disappointing. And speaking of your current governor, Gretchen Whitmer, she's largely responsible for how extreme abortion law is in Michigan right now. Could you just briefly speak to her record? And, and do you anticipate that her opponent, Tudor Dixon, if elected, will enact policies that are going to protect babies and, and families? Yes, well, Governor Whitmer has shown us time and again that she is not about furthering a family-friendly Michigan from every um, every policy that you could bring up from inflation to crime and especially to the, uh, the life issue. She has um, a line-item veto, and she has repeatedly used it to veto funding for alternatives to abortion, life-saving alternatives. Uh, provided by um, pregnancy resource centers, uh, which are largely supported by both pro-choice and pro-life Americans and pro-life um, and pro-choice Michiganders. Mm -hmm. And so um, we've seen her time and again use this power to veto what has been passed by the people in the state legislature. Um, and really, she has no answer, no response to the failed policies of her administration, except to say that somehow abortion on demand is going to be some economic driver, which mm -hmm. is just ridiculous. Yeah, uh, I think Tudor has really campaigned and made a central uh, part of her campaign this idea of a family-friendly Michigan that she's not just there, you know, as a, the pro-life pro-life voice, but she's there to further policies that will help and protect both mom and baby. Mm -hmm. That she's going to stand with them as they try to make ends meet so that they can give life to their child. Yes. Well, it'll be very interesting to see how this shakes out, and I'm thankful for your expertise on this, Caitlin McCuskey of SBA Pro-Life America. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. The 2023 March for Life theme has been revealed for the 50th National March for Life. It is Next Steps, Marching in a Post-Row America. The president of March for Life, Jeannie Mancini, says these next steps our movement will embark on to build a culture of life are crucial, especially now that Roe versus Wade is no more. While the group will continue to organize the National March each year, which has gained worldwide recognition as one of the largest annual advocacy events, they have ambitious goals to organize dozens of marches that will take place throughout the 50 states. And we spoke to Mancini about what will look different at this year's National March. Let's take a look. We are going to finish instead of at the Supreme Court, we'll finish at the Capitol so that our elected officials can see the powerful grassroots, the powerful pro-life young people who really want them to enact good laws protecting life. While some may be wondering why there's a need for a March for Life now that Roe versus Wade is gone, Mancini says building a culture of life in the U.S. is far from over 
and now is the time to advocate for an end to abortion at the highest levels of government. So we've got a handful of different bills that have been introduced or will be introduced that could protect life, but I don't think there's one perfect thing. The March for Life is set for January 20th in Washington, D.C., where more than tens of thousands of people are expected to attend. This year's theme, focused on next steps, is fitting now that the attention turns to the states and to mothers in need. We need to support them. We need to put our money where our mouth is, and we've seen some wonderful states introduce some funding streams that will do just that. When it comes to building a culture of life, Mancini says, we have to be a light to our world. When I asked her how the March for Life juxtaposes the violent pro-abortion women's march, whose attendees literally forced pro-lifers to retreat behind police lines just a couple weeks ago, this is what she said. We at the march, are, we lead by love. You know, we don't lead by violence. And really, the pro-life movement is about love. Make sure you mark your calendar for January 20th. EWTN will be broadcasting the 50th annual March for Life live from our studio. Coming up, as we face a diaper shortage nationwide, a secular news outlet claims the pro-life movement is making matters worse for moms and families. I speak out. Plus, a former abortionist shares his inspiring conversion story in his new book, and we hear from him about the life-affirming services his team provides at the Tepeyac Center in Northern Virginia. Welcome back to EWTN Pro-Life Weekly. I'm Prudence Robertson. The media bows down to the Biden abortion regime once again and says that the answer to the diaper shortage is to kill the babies. That is this week's Speak Out segment. A recent headline from Yahoo News reads, America is facing a diaper crisis and the anti-abortion movement is making it worse. With this ludicrous statement and their attacks on groups like Heartbeat International, the pro-abortion media are showing their hand right alongside the current administration. Their accusations and their proposed solutions to the diaper shortage are equally laughable. Heartbeat International serves 1.5 million clients each year. Do they expect us to think that Planned Parenthood provides aid to even a fraction of that number? The reality is that just like with the formula shortage, the diaper shortage is happening because of skyrocketing inflation caused by Joe Biden's government, and they have no plan to fix it. They continue to create crises that make it harder and harder for families to survive because they're not just pro-abortion. They are hostile to growing families, and they want to snuff us out. Meanwhile, you have Democrat candidates in every battleground state taking the debate stage in these final weeks of their campaigns, claiming they will double down on this extremism, working to do everything in their power to somehow reinstate Roe and willfully participate in the genocide of abortion. This diaper shortage is another feather in their cap, and it's shameful of the Biden administration and the media to try and cover up the fact that this is exactly what they want. More abortions, less families. Dr. John Bruchalski is a former abortionist who is now a strongly pro-life physician in Northern Virginia. He is also the author of a new book, Two Patients, My Conversion from Abortion to Life-Affirming Medicine. We sat down with him this week to discuss his new book and his journey of healing from the abortions he carried out. He also shared with us his thoughts about the state of our nation post-Roe. Let's take a look. 
All right, we are here with Dr. John Bruchowski of the Tepeyac Center. He is the author of the new book, Two Patients, My Conversion from Abortion to Life-Affirming Care. Dr. John, thanks for joining me this morning. Oh, Prudence, it is a blessing to be here with you. It's a blessing to have you here. And you began your book, congratulations on your new book, by the way. You began it really by talking about a medical misjudgment that happened in the delivery room and sort of spurred your conversion. Would you share what happened with us um, in that moment? Uh, sure. Um, the misjudgment was taking a good history and physical that all doctors should do. This was absolute palpable cognitive dissonance. I was a second year resident in a OBGYN training program, so we learned to do abortions at all times for whatever reasons. I wanted to be the best I could be, and so that's where I was during the daytime. However, as God is always a funny guy, he had me working at a pregnancy center at night, Evangelical, First Assembly of God. Mm. And we were praying to show people that there was an option other than abortion. So can you imagine that was unbelievable? And then in labor and delivery that night, in one room, the mom wanted the baby. So I took a good history and did everything I could to keep the baby inside alive. But in the next room, because the mom didn't want it, I didn't take a good history because it wasn't wanted. I broke the water, gave her medicine to deliver her baby. I delivered the baby. It looked a little big. I either could have suffocated it because it was born alive, or I threw it on the scale, and I did toss it. It was over 500 grams, and I had to call in the neonatal intensive care doctors. So here I am split between life and death, being the best doctor I could be. I didn't take a good history. The baby was farther along. And in walked the neonatal doctor and said, why are you treating my patients as tumors? Come to me tomorrow, have some coffee, because you're better than this. And that's what started it. It was the facts of OBGYN wanting to have abortion as part of good health care. But then someone stopped me in my tracks and confronted me. That's that moment that I had to respond to. And Dr. John, praise God that that conversion began in that moment. But talk to me about um, how the scar of abortion has impacted your life. So the scar of abortion is now a scar. It's not a wound anymore because of Jesus's mercy. So the first thing I want to tell your folks out there is Jesus's mercy is the most wonderful medicine. It attracts m misery to himself. So if you're miserable out there and you've had scars with your own abortions or referring for abortions, are you in the doctor community, in the healthcare community? God's mercy is here and he just loves you more than you know. That's the first thing, it's a scar, and thank you for saying that. Number two is the summer of rage that we see coming from the pro-abortion side, the March on Washington, the vindictiveness, the vicissitude, the pain, the anger, the ugliness, that's post-traumatic stress syndrome. And I, you, you know, it takes one to know one, that's me. My heart got hardened. So once again, I grew up in a great Catholic family. We said the rosary every morning.
but I was a man pleaser. I wasn't a God fearer. I wanted to get along, status quo, be friends, everything's okay, God's love, it's mercy, relativism, scientism. Don't worry about that, John. There's many ways to God. God understands, he's merciful. There was no mention of justice. And yet, as you do more and more abortions and you have to count body parts, and then you start killing sick children in the wombs of their mother, Prudence, the pain, the hardness of heart, the sharpness, it's the opposite of being an excellent doctor. Mm. And for 50 years now, we've had abortion on demand as the foundation of excellent health care. And now you use your talents as an OBGYN at the Tepeyac Center, which you run. It's a pro-life uh, center where you offer from start to finish everything that a mother needs, an expecting mother. Talk to me about the services you provide there. So. So we put the name Tepeyac in it against all marketing odds because Tepeyac is hard to spell. Nobody knows what it. It's the hill on which Our Lady appeared to Juan Diego, right? Yes. I put it in there because the pressures in medicine and the pressures in life are to go woke and broke spiritually. We don't believe that murdering and killing life or always pitting mom against the baby. Oh, we got to kill the baby to save you. Wrong answer. We've been treating miscarriages and ectopics and all the conditions of OBGYN for about 28 to 29 years without having to resort to elective abortion. Never. And that has attracted, you know, we're still in business after 28 years. And it's very hard because we, you have to pray for us and we have to pray for you because there are centers growing across the country. But the pressures against them are unbelievable. So I would recommend to your audience, pray for healthcare providers, physicians, and all the rest every day. So that, that power of loving the patient but hating the disease and knowing that medicine is an act of mercy, that's what's going to stand up to the hatred and to the bitterness and to the pain of trying to be the best patient you can be, the best mom you can be. And Dr. John, very briefly before we finish, I did just want to speak about how your work is becoming harder. You know, with the midterm elections coming up, the fact that Roe versus Wade has been overturned is really intensifying debate on both sides. How have you seen that translate to your work at the Tepeyac Center? So at the Tepeyac Center, they are still doing what they always do. I've had to move on to be president of Divine Mercy Care. So what's happening is we have an opportunity right now to say the word abortion, because the other side doesn't want to say it. We can say the word abortion, and we can reclaim so much of medicine right now. So Divine Mercy Care is not only raising alms for Tepeyac's care of the underserved, but we're also teaching medical students and residents and, colleges and college students and other doctors who are just burned out and, and disappointed in what medicine has become. So this idea of medicine as an act of mercy, it's about teaching, assisting, and accompanying people, whether they're patients or providers, through this challenging time and maybe help them see there's a better way. Well, thank you so much for the work that you do. It's so needed. We're so glad to have you here, and congratulations on your new book, Dr. Oh. John Bruchowski. Oh, Prudence, thank you so, so much. God bless you. God bless you.
You can buy Dr. Buchalski's book at www.ignatius.com. And that does it for this edition of EWTN Pro-Life Weekly. I'm Prudence Robertson. Until next time, we'd love to hear from you. Find us on social media at EWTN Pro-Life on all social media platforms. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, we're there. You can also send us a message by emailing Pro-Life Weekly at EWTN.com. We love to hear from you. Remember, life is a gift. Your life is a gift. God bless.